It's great to be back with you here at Plainfield Bible Church. I'm looking for my family. I think they're here somewhere. Oh, they're over here. Um, Got some guests with me today. My wife Sally is here. And then two of my sons, Matthew and Andre. Jonathan is a responsible young man now, so he's at home working, trying to make some money, pay for school. Um, But we're delighted to be with you this morning. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 22. What I think will be for you a very familiar passage of scripture, but want to look at Christ being our substitute today. And so we'll look at the life of Abraham and Isaac and and lead that direction as we look at the atoning work of Jesus Christ. So Genesis 22, and I would like to read for us verses 1 to 14. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire And the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day in the Mount of the Lord, it will be provided. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. Well, sitting majestically atop the highest hill in Toledo, Spain, is the Alcazar, a 16th century fortress. And in the Civil War of the 1930s, the Alcazar became a battleground when the loyalists tried to oust the nationalists who held the fortress. During one dramatic episode of the war, the nationalist leader received a phone call while in his office at the Alcazar. It was from his son, 
who had been captured by the loyalists. The ultimatum, if the father didn't surrender the Alcazar to them, they would kill his son. The father weighed his options, and after a long pause and with a heavy heart, he said to his son, then die like a man. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? To give up your son so that others might live. To give up your son in obedience to Almighty God. But that is exactly what Abraham is willing to do here in Genesis chapter 2. And so I first want to look with you this morning at the command of God. We see this here in verses 1 and 2. The command of God. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. So Moses, the author of the Pentateuch, including the book of Genesis, tells us here that God tested Abraham. The Hebrew word or the Hebrew verb here is the verb nasah, and it means to test or to try. The King James translates this, that it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Well, tempt is not the best translation for this word. I think it misrepresents the meaning of the verb, and it contradicts what we see in Scripture. In James 1, 13 to 14, James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So this is not a temptation from God. This is a testing by God, an examination of Abraham's heart. And that is proven in verse 12 when the Lord says to Abraham, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And so here is the test from God. In verse 2, he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. God tells Abraham to take his son, your only son, whom you love. And you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. Abraham had another son. He had a son named Ishmael. I think the Lord is pretty aware of this. He knows this to be true. He's not mistaken. But Isaac is Abraham's beloved son and the only son of promise. Isaac, which means laughter. We read in Genesis 21, the previous chapter, that Ishmael is disinherited and sent away. And so now that leaves Isaac as Abraham's only son. But what we see next is so difficult to understand and really it's impossible to fathom. This is an unexpected mandate from God. A shocking command. An incomprehensible order from the throne of heaven. So shocking and so incomprehensible that some Bible commentators have reinterpreted what we clearly see here in Genesis chapter 22. They try to get around the offense of the story. They try to protect God. And they suggest that Abraham only thought he heard the voice of God. 
telling him to offer up his only son, Isaac. According to this view, Abraham was influenced by the heathen Canaanites that surrounded him. And if his pagan neighbors could show their devotion to their gods by offering up their children as human sacrifices, should not he be willing to do the same for his God, the true God, the everlasting God? And so Abraham, according to this view, was misguided and began his journey to Mount Moriah. And in this view, God does not enter the picture until verse 12, when he sees what Abraham is about to do to his son Isaac, and God intervenes before it's too late, arriving just in time. How convenient. Well, this view, I believe, is inaccurate. And we who believe that the Bible is the God-breathed, inerrant, authoritative, inspired word of God, see something of great importance in verse 2, the words, he said. God said. God spoke these words to Abraham. This was his command to his servant. And so when we, when we examine this command, it is indeed shocking for a couple of reasons. Num- num- number one, because of God's promise to Abraham. Since we're in the book of Genesis, if you could go back just a few chapters to Genesis 15. Genesis 15, we're going to look there at verses 1 to 6. This is shocking, first of all, because of God's promise here to Abraham. Genesis 15, beginning in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is what is known as the Abrahamic covenant, God's covenant with Abraham, that through his son Isaac, he would become a father of many nations. When Dr. R.C. Sproul was alive, I heard him on more than one occasion say that if he could only have one chapter of the Bible it would be Genesis chapter 15 because of this covenant that God makes with Abram. In Genesis chapter 21, the the previous chapter before our text today, we see there the sending away of Ishmael and Hagar. And God says to Abraham there, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. But then we look at this and we go, well, how could God do this if Isaac was to be sacrificed upon the altar? And that leads us to a second reason why this is a shocking command. And that is because of God's hatred of murder and human sacrifice. 
Leviticus 24 verse 17 says, If a man takes the life of any human being, he shall surely be put to death. Deuteronomy 12.31 You shall not behave thus toward the Lord your God, for every abominable act which the Lord hates they have, gone, they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17, there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Nevertheless, this is what God commands Abraham to do, and we see nothing like this elsewhere in the pages of sacred scripture. And the response to this unique command given by God is really as stunning as the command itself. As number two, we see the obedience of Abraham. The obedience of Abraham. So back in Genesis 22, verse 3 here says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. As we look now at the obedience of Abraham, I want to look at some of the characteristics of his obedience. First of all, we look at the, the immediateness of his obedience. Verse 3, after getting this command, we read that Abraham rose early in the morning. This is a story about a father and a son, a father who loved his son dearly. We see that in verse 2 where God tells him, your only son whom you love. And I think we could be tempted to read into the text a little bit here. We may want to add a little Hollywood drama to this story and say that the reason that Abraham got up early was because he could not sleep. How could he sleep? Knowing that God had called him to sacrifice his one and only son. Well, though it may be true that Abraham did not sleep that night, the phrase Abraham rose early in the morning, which is found two other times in the book of Genesis, is related to his obedience to the Lord. Genesis 19:27. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Genesis 21:14. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and gave her the boy and sent her away. And this is the case here as well. Abraham loves God with all of his heart and he is willing to go wherever God would call him to go and he is willing to do whatever God would tell him to do. And so we see that in verse 3 with him rising early in the morning. Next, I want to look at the extent of his obedience. The extent of his obedience. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. I used to go, when I worked for Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, the first time back in the 90s, we used to go to a FCA camp in Estes Park, Colorado. Beautiful. It was at the YMCA of the Rockies. 
and it'd always take a couple days to adjust to the altitude. I would be tired the first couple days and take a lot of naps, and then I would kind of adjust and enjoy the, the camp there. But there was some great hiking there, and there was a, a mountain there called Eagle Cliff. The base was about a quarter of a mile from the dorm room that I stayed when I was there. And it took about an hour and a half to climb this mountain, and we would do that during the afternoon during free time, and it was always on the next to the last day of camp. That was a good time, and, but you know what? It was not a real commitment. Put on some tennis shoes, we hiked the mountain, took in some spectacular views, a lot of elk up there. You watched your footing coming down, make sure you weren't slipping, and then I would go shower and go eat dinner. That wasn't really a great commitment. For Abraham, however, the extent of his obedience to God here is amazing. This was the third day, we read, making Moriah a three-day journey, approximately 50 miles. And so we see Abraham willing to make this long trek in order to please and obey his God. Next, I want to look at the sincerity of his obedience, and that is found in verse 5. Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. There is absolute sincerity here on the part of Abraham. There is no trickery. There's no indication that Abraham winked at the two two servants. Abraham's intent is to do exactly what God called him to do. And we see that in verse 6. As Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and so the two of them walked on together. Abraham put the wood on his son, the very wood to be used in this requested sacrifice. Back in verse 3, we see that he split the wood for the burnt offering. Abraham carried the fire in his hand, that same hand that had once held his little baby boy, would now be used to start a fire, that fire that would soon consume his precious son. He carried the knife in his hand, that knife that would be used to slay his beloved son. This was completely Sincere. There's no trickery, there's no games, no going through the motions. And then fourthly, I want you to see the focus of Abraham's obedience, and that is found in verse 7. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I think this observation and this question from Isaac gives us some better understanding about this son of Abraham. He is not an infant. I remember flannel graph, if you know what that is. If you do, you're probably over the age of 50, like me. Uh, Flannel graph and seeing the stories of the Bible and the Old Testament and this little baby Isaac sometimes was part of that flannel graph. But we see that he's not an infant. He is able to walk. He is able to walk a great distance. Look again verse three, at verse 3. 
Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Verse 6, so the two of them walked on together. Verse 8, so Abraham pushed Isaac in the stroller. No, it doesn't say that, right? It says the two of them walked on together. He's not a baby. He is able to talk. He is not a child. He is able to comprehend. And he understands that sacrifice involves animals. And he sees that there is no animal with them and asks his father this question, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? In verse 5, though, this is where the flannel graph people got this idea, I think. Abraham says to the young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there. The Hebrew word here is na'ar. It can be translated boy or youth or servant, but it can also be translated young man. And this was a fun one to study, just the different commentaries that I have in my library trying to understand how old is Isaac. John MacArthur, that we all love and respect, would see Isaac uh, over the age of 20. Josephus, that great Jewish historian, put Isaac at 25 years of age. Now, this one really threw me off. Jewish rabbinical tradition has Isaac at 37 years old. Isaac is a young man. That is true. But he is a grown man. And then if you look in verse 9, then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Look at the focus of Abraham's obedience. He is completely focused on what God has called him to do. And though his voice may have quivered when he told Isaac, the Lord will provide the lamb, and though his hands may have shook while he prepared the wood for the altar. And though tears must have filled his eyes as he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, he is focused and intent on obeying God, no matter what the cost. Even if that cost would include the life of his one and only son. And then we see the illustration of that focus in verse 10, where Moses tells us that Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Most Bible versions translate this Hebrew verb slay. Uh, The ESV translates this slaughter. And that is really the true sense of this word, to slaughter. Uh, The Hebrew verb here is shahat. It appears 84 times in the Old Testament. And with five exceptions where it means to Uh, beaten or hammering out of gold, shahat means to kill. And it is most often used in a ritual sacrifice and a few times to kill another person. It is used in Exodus 29, verse 11. You shall slaughter the bull before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Exodus 29, 16. You shall slaughter the ram and shall take its blood and sprinkle it around the altar. Ezekiel 16, 21, the Lord says, You slaughtered my children and offered them up as idols. 
by causing them to pass through the fire. Moses, again, who is writing this account under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us that this was Abraham's intention for his only son to slaughter Isaac. And so here Abraham is ready to lower the knife and slay his beloved son. His death and sacrifice are imminent. How many fathers are here today that have a son? Think about this. We cannot begin to fathom what Abraham was about to do. How then could Abraham be so focused? How could he be so intent on obeying God, even though it would cost him the son, the, the life of his son, Isaac? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us some insight to that. I'd love for you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Keep your finger in Genesis 22. And turn to Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter known as the Hall of Faith. We see this phrase throughout Hebrews 11, by faith, by faith, by faith, focusing on these Old Testament saints who trusted God and through whom God did amazing and incredible things. But Abraham is mentioned here. There's a good section dedicated to Abraham, but down in verse 17 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. Here it is. He considered... That God is able to raise people even from the dead. From which he also received him back as a type. Abraham had great faith. Abraham believed God. He believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. Even if he plunged that knife into his chest. And slaughtered his beloved son like a priest would slaughter a lamb. And even if the fire of the altar consumed his son, leaving nothing but his bones. And then back in Genesis 22, in verse 11, we see one word, the word but. I call it the grandest little word in the Bible. And that but leads us to our third point today, the provision of of the Lord, the provision of the Lord. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. You know, Abraham truly did have the opportunity to speak to God and to receive direct revelation from the Lord, from Yahweh himself. The Lord would speak to Abraham and Abraham would speak to the Lord. In fact, the first recorded prayer in all of Scripture comes from Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, as he pleads with the Lord not to destroy the righteous when he pours out his judgment and wrath upon Sodom and Gomorrah. When the Lord spoke to Abraham in verse 2 and told him to take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah 
and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Those had to be the most terrifying words he had ever heard from the Lord. But when he heard the Lord speak this time, when he heard the God of the universe speak his name in kindness and in love, spoken twice, Abraham, Abraham, these had to be the most delightful words he had ever heard. And Abraham responded just as he had before, here I am. In verse 1, we see that God, Elohim, tested Abraham and spoke to Abraham, telling him, to sacrifice his son Isaac. We read in verse 11 that the angel of the Lord called to him, and it makes us wonder, well, who is the angel of the Lord? And I believe, and you probably know this, that when you do a study of this title, angel of the Lord, throughout the pages of Holy Scripture, you will see these things to be true. Number one, the angel of the Lord is supernatural. Number two, the angel of the Lord is not a created angel. And number three, the angel of the Lord is God himself. There is no doubt in my mind that the angel of the Lord is the Lord himself. We see a couple of great examples from from this in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 to 5, we all know this story. This was on flannel graph as well. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. The angel of the Lord. In Judges chapter two, verse one, we read that the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum. And he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And so I would argue and I would agree with most conservative Bible scholars that the angel of the Lord that we see in scripture is the second member of the Trinity. This is a pre-incarnate manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ. How awesome is that to think that Abraham is speaking with Christ himself. Well, what did Christ tell him? Verse 12, he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I think it's important to clarify something here. The the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, which has existed from all eternity in heaven, was not eating popcorn in heaven. I don't know if they have popcorn in heaven. Anxiously awaiting and watching to see what was going to happen here. The Lord knew from all eternity what Abraham would do. The Lord had promised Abraham that through Isaac his descendants would be named. The Lord would not have made Abraham a promise that he was unable to keep because our God always keeps his promises. Amen. And we praise him for that. 
the Lord says, now I know that you fear God. The Lord knew this from the beginning, but this served as a demonstration of that faith. There is proof here that Abraham revered God as sovereign, that he trusted him wholeheartedly and that he would obey him without question. Matthew Henry in his commentary says, Abraham is not only approved, but applauded. He obtains an honorable testimony that he is righteous. Now know I that thou fearest God. God knew it before, but now Abraham had given a most memorable evidence of it. He needed to do no more. What he had done was sufficient to prove the religious regard he had to God and to his authority. James would write about this in his epistle in James chapter 2. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works and as a result of the works faith was perfected. And then down in verse 13. Then Abraham raised his eyes. I would suppose that he dried his eyes here as well. And looked and behold behind him a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. What a coincidence. A ram got caught in the thicket. What were the odds in Vegas for this to happen? No We know there are no coincidences with God. God is absolutely sovereign over all things. That's why I sleep at night, knowing that God is in control of all things, that there is not one maverick molecule outside of the sovereign hand of God. God was sovereign in making Sarah Sarah barren, and God was sovereign when he opened her womb. God was sovereign in the salvation of Abraham, and God was sovereign over this ram. And God in his sovereignty directed this little ram to travel up up to Mount Moriah or wherever he came from to the exact place where Abraham was called to sacrifice his son Isaac. God sovereignly led this ram to the thicket where it would catch its horns and not be able to escape so that Abraham could offer this ram in the place of his son as a substitute for his son Isaac to die in Isaac's place. This, my friends, is a preview of the substitutionary death and atoning work of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who Abraham has just spoken with. And so in verse 14, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. The Lord provided. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provided a substitute to die in the place of his son Isaac. Well, nearly 2,000 years later, a baby would be born to a virgin girl named Mary. This was the first perfect baby ever born. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born pure and holy and without original sin. And he would grow up without sin and would obey and fulfill the law of God perfectly. 
And at the age of 30, he would begin his public ministry. He began that ministry by being baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist to fulfill all righteousness. When John saw this man coming to him to be baptized, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This man performed his first miracle at Cana in Galilee, turning the water into wine. And he performed many more miracles. He calmed the sea. He gave sight to the blind. He caused the lame to walk. And he even raised the dead. After three years of public ministry, it was time for him to do what he had been called to do, to go to the cross and lay down his life for sinners in obedience to the Father's command from eternity past. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends and he was arrested and tried and crucified at the hands of the Romans. And just as Abraham had placed the wood upon his son Isaac, the Roman soldiers took a wooden cross and forced him to carry it. Just as Isaac had carried that wood up the hill to Mount Moriah, Jesus would carry his wooden cross up a hill called Calvary to be slaughtered at Golgotha. When Jesus arrived, there were two others being crucified and the cross of Jesus would be placed between them. And as the Roman soldiers prepared for his crucifixion and death, one of the soldiers grabbed three spikes to drive them into his hands and feet. And as the soldier lifted up the hammer to drive that first spike into the flesh of the perfect son of God, there was no voice from heaven calling out to the soldier by name, instructing him to stop, commanding him not to stretch out his hand against the sinless Savior. The Roman soldier would not look over and see a ram caught in the thicket. The only thicket we find in this story is the thicket where the soldiers gathered the long spikes, spikes that would have been up to 12 inches long from a date palm and fashioned a crown for Jesus to wear, a crown of thorns that cut deeply into his head, adding to the pain, the suffering, and the bleeding. It was not God's will that a ram be caught in the thicket to die in the Savior's place because Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. He is the substitute to die in the place of sinners. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.24, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. It was not God's will that Abraham slay his one and only son, but it was the perfect will of God that God the Father slaughter his one and only son. Isaiah 53, verse 10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. It was God's will that Abraham spare his one and only son, but it was not the perfect will of God that God the Father spare his one and only son. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. Friends, as we gather on this Sunday, as we do weekly, it is really impossible for us to fathom these things, isn't it? But this is what God did for us through the person of Jesus Christ. 
Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel. This is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. My sin for his righteousness, the substitutionary atonement. It's October and Reformation Sunday is coming. We celebrate the life of Martin Luther and the Reformation period. I found this story years ago that Martin Luther once read this story in Genesis 22 to his family during family devotions. And when he had finished, his wife Katie said, I do not believe it. God would not have treated his son like that. But Katie answered Martin, he did. And that is our hope. And that is the reason we gather here each week to celebrate his death and not only his death, but also his resurrection from the dead on the third day. Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He raised from the dead. He appeared to many over a 40-day period. He ascended back to heaven where he is right now, preparing a place for us to dwell with him forever, a place where he is praying for us that our faith would not fail. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for Genesis 22, for Genesis 15. Lord, for this covenant that you established with Abraham, that through his offspring, Lord, all descendants would come and they would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Lord, we understand we are the recipients of that great covenant. We are thankful for your promises. We are thankful, God, that you are a promise-keeping God. And Lord, it was not your will for Abraham to slaughter his son Isaac, but it was your will to slaughter your son Jesus in our place, in our stead, for our sins. God, you made him who knew no sin, Christ, to be sin on our behalf, that in him and through him we might become the very righteousness of God. Thank you today that we who are in Christ, Lord, as you look at us, you no longer see our sin, that sin that once separated us from you so that you could not hear. But Lord, you now see your son as we have been wrapped with a robe of righteousness. We have been clothed with your righteousness. And we can have a relationship with a holy God because of the obedience of your son. Oh God, thank you for the gospel. And Lord, may we respond in a way that would be pleasing to you, knowing that you did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all. We give you thanks. We praise you. We remember you now, Lord, as we lead into this time of the Lord's Supper and remembering your death in our place. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.